Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And this week we are reading a short story by a fellow who we weren't expecting to read a short story by. We keep on thinking Evelyn War or something, but it just never quite happens. Uh, instead, we are reading something by PJ... PG. 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 That's the first, that's the first <laughs> mess up. I mean, I didn't even get to the surname. <laughs> right. Uh, Wodehouse. It's a bit like Roadhouse. Roadhouse is the family guy. Um, uh, Wodehouse. Um... Is that how you pronounce it? Wordhouse. Yes. Yeah, Wordhouse. I've heard it. No. Who is he? no, 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 no. Um, He's English. Wordhouse. Yes. Yeah, well, there was an Irish guy before and we messed that one up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> Wordhouse. Uh, and it is called Leave It to Jeeves, which I think is just a fantastic name for something just because it sounds amazing. Um, which it is. It was great. Kiara, do you want to tell us a little bit about. About this... Wodehouse and the Jeeves series. Okay, so Wodehouse, Wodehouse lived in uh, lived for ninety three years between the late eighteen hundreds and um, up, and he died in nineteen seventy five. Um, so he saw World War One and World War Two and quite a lot of the period afterwards. Um, and he wrote he wrote a, a lot of short stories and plays and Broadway mu- and. Co- um, what's the word? Collaborated on a vast, vast array of Broadway musicals. Anything goes. Yes, he was involved with. Yes, that's right. He wrote. I think he wrote the hit song from Anything Goes. Actually, go. um, this particular series, uh, known as uh, G- Worcester and Jeeves and Worcester, mm-hmm. um, Jeeves being the um, valet or gentleman's gentleman of a um, aristocrat Bertie Worcester, who is a rather bumbling. Bumbling idiot, shall we say? Very, very. <laughs> but you do love that. You do love Bertie because he's not particularly bright. But so many, so, so many circumstances just conspire against him. And Jeeves is the brilliant, brilliant manservant who gets him out of trouble most of the time and gets him out of, among other things, marriage, various marriage proposals, friends' relationships breaking up. Um, and in the case of this little story, um, a very complicated. Yeah, it's a bit hard to explain, isn't it? Um, you do need to look. It's a, it's not that long of it's a story. Quite short. It's out of copyright. Well, yes, it is. It is out of copyright. Yes, I was going to say it's one of these situ- because it was before. I'm like, but he didn't die till it's before the copyright change where it became after a person's death. So because it's before that, it's out of copyright. Yay! Um, <laughs> so and um, it's. It's a fantastic little story that... It's re- hard to talk about it without giving it away. Yeah. That's the problem. We can't really talk about the plot points without giving it away, which is half the fun because it's really funny. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. It, it's, 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 it's British about... comedy, but in a book. Yeah. Like, you it's, think of it's every... It's sitcom before the sitcom existed. Yes. It's fantastic. And it's, and it's also... A t- it's also it was made into a TV show in the 90s starring Hugh Laurie as Bertie and uh, Stephen Fry as uh, Jeeves. And honestly, when you see this, this, these two were roles that were just made for both of those actors. It's unbelievable how uncannily Scary time travel thing happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the TV series also beautifully recreates the period of the 1930s, which is when this these stories sort of take place um, between England and New York. And um, 
that's I, I just I love it. I love the TV series, and I've fallen in love with these books because this it's like Mr. Bean, but with words in many ways. It's a slap. It's it's slapstick British comedy, but with absolutely brilliant dialogue. Like I don't know if you want to improve your vocabulary in one easy step, <laughs> read this or watch the TV show. I don't care which, because they'll both drastically improve your vocabulary, especially Jeeves. Also, I think that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jeeves, this the search engine, the old school Ask search Jeeves. engine, Ask Jeeves, was inspired by well, it makes this character. Sense because that's what the character of Jeeves is almost like. He yes, seems he's to a be, human encyclopedia. There's a, there's a moment where he says, um, Bertie says that, what is it? Um, if I had half the brains that Jeeves had, I probably would take up a job like the Prime Minister. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit like like I don't know why he's sitting around pressing my clothes when he could be doing so, such greater things. I, I think I think the first I think the first paragraph deserves to be read out oh, on it. You gotta you need to read it in the correct accent. Okay. Alright. Jeeves, my man, you know, is really a most extraordinary chap. So capable. Honestly. I shouldn't know what to do without him. On broader lines, he's like those chappies who sit peering sadly over the marble battlements at the Pennsylvania station in the place marked Inquiries. You know the Johnnies, I mean. You go up to them and say, when's the next train for Melonsquashville, Tennessee? And they reply without stopping to think, 243, track 10, changes at San Francisco. And they're right every time. Well, Jeeves just gives you the same impression of omniscience. As an instance of what I mean, I remember meeting Monty Bing in Bond Street one morning, looking at looking the last word in a grey check suit, and I felt I should never be happy till I had one like it. I dug the address out of the tail uh, of the tailors out of him and had them working on the thing inside the hour. Jeeves, I said that that evening, I'm getting a check suit like the one of Mister Bing's. Injudicious, sir, he said firmly. It will not become you. What absolute rot! It's the soundest thing I've struck for years. Unsuitable for you, sir. Well, the long and short of it was that the confounded thing came home and I put it on and when I caught sight of myself in the glass, I nearly swooned. Jeeves was perfectly right. I looked like a cross between a music hall comedian and a cheap bookie. Yes, Monty had looked uh, fine in absolutely the same stuff. These things are just life's mysteries and that's all there is to it. It's very punchy. It's very quick. Yes. It just keeps going. And that's the pace. That's the pace of the whole And Jeeves' understatement unsuitable sir <laughs> like just and you can almost you know and like when you see when you see like um you Stephen Fry particularly like adds the, that really adds depth to the character with the facial expressions when he sees oh not another fashion thing from, <laughs> you know, and you can, you you can, can see, see sometimes he is like physically pained by Bertie's fashion you can choices see how as well. this character has then and of course Stephen Fry's betrayal of it has yes. then proceeded to inform like say for the nanny or something like that. Oh, like, like um, Niles. Niles. Yes, yeah. yes. Niles, Niles is he very much a Jeeves-like character. Although he's a lot more um, bitingly sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. Even that um, that that one-off character from The Simpsons, you know, Chowder. You know, it's oh. it's Chowder. Say it right, Chowder. And, and the guy's just physically pained by having to be not, subjected. Not elegant. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I look. This is just a great piece of comedy. About it's, it's like great. that. It's the, the about well, life's little moments. Twenty minutes. It's great. But no, but, <laughs> but this is one of the things too. Is it's or it's it's finding the extraordinary in the ordinary. I think, and that's really what this is about. It's just putting the funny spin on all the 
relationship on the relationships that we have and yes it, they seem very very um remote from us because who has valets these days and let alone valets like Jeeves like who you know it's it's a bygone it's a real like it's a real mark of its time and of a particular so- social class of its time as well and um I, I just I just it's it's light it's simple it's just it's it's fast paced it's hilarious like we were laughing out loud reading <laughs> this which is rather embarrassing when you, just the way people- that it has I mean, I, I've said it before, but like saying it's like the sitcom before the sitcom. You can you can picture this in your head, like the scenes put together. Like you could definitely see why this was turned into a television show. It It'd was made for TV. Thing to turn into a TV show. Like literally, you have to pick up the book, and that's your dialogue. Like it always has its it always has its camera angles set up for you <laughs> yes. already. Like when you're reading it. Like, the way that the characters are looking at objects or looking at each other or they're interacting with each other, it just flows together so well. And it's a mark of a fantastic writer who's able to get that out of his imagination and onto paper. Paper in a way that is so easy for the reader to imagine. And it's almost like there's almost breaks for laughter, like breaks and <laughs> laughter almost. Like, it's true, there are. It's, it's the pacing of it. It's just, it's almost like poetry. Almost. Victoria, don't, don't throw something at me. <laughs> she wasn't going to throw something at me. It's all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, um, Victoria, you haven't said anything. You need I, to say something. Well, a- I'd, I'd like to reiterate the fact that, you know, everyone should read this because it's hilarious, all right? I decided to read this at midnight and I was chortling, guffawing, if you will, <laughs> while the rest of the house was asleep. So, you know, I was so funny and I, you know, it was late at night so you lose your wit, so it was even funnier. <laughs> um, but something I picked up on, and forgive me, I accidentally read the story afterwards That's as well. That's fine. Or part of it. But something I really found interesting was... um. I don't know if this is a conscious decision or not, but when uh, Wodehouse describes people, the men he gives pr- a pretty straightforward description, um, but the women he'll give a description yeah. and he'll talk about how he- they made him as a person feel, which I found really interesting. So let me read you a little part about, this is about Muriel Singer. Oh, yes, Muriel. All right. This was great. This is yeah. a fabulous description, Yeah, actually. listen to this, and then I might... If we have enough time, read another one from another story. Muriel Singer was one of those very quiet, appealing girls who have a way of looking at you with their big eyes as if they thought you were the greatest thing on earth and wondered that you hadn't got onto it, uh, onto it yet yourself. She sat there in a sort of shrinking way, looking at me as if she was saying to herself, Oh, I do hope this great strong man isn't going to hurt me. She gave a fellow a protective kind of feeling, made him want to stroke her hand and say, There, there, little one, or words to that effect. She made me feel that there was nothing I wouldn't do for her. She was rather like one of those innocent-tasting American drinks which creep imperceptibly into your system so that before you know what you're doing, you're starting out to reform the world by force if necessary and pausing on your way to tell the large man in the corner that if he looks at you like that, you will knock his head off. (laughs) What I mean is she made me feel alert and dashing like a jolly old knight errant or something of that kind. I felt that I was with her in this thing to the limit. All right, so keep that one in mind, and then bear with me. I'm just going to find the other one. Um, There it is. So this is about another lady. So keep in mind that apart from actually what Kiara read out at the beginning that gives you more of a sense of 
Jeeves, the men actually have very straightforward uh, descriptions, but the women are a completely different matter. Lady Melvin was a hearty, happy, healthy, overpowering sort of dashed female, not so very tall, but making up for it by measuring about six feet from the OP to the prompt side. <laughs> she fitted into my biggest armchair as if it had been built round by round her by someone who knew they were wearing armchairs tight about the hips that season. She had bright, bulging eyes and a lot of yellow hair, and when she spoke, she showed about 57 front teeth. She was on. She was one of those women who kind, who was, who kind of numb a fellow's faculties. She made me feel as if I were ten years old and had been brought into the drawing room into, in my Sunday clothes to say, "How do you do?" Altogether, by no means the sort of thing a chappie would wish to find in his sitting room before breakfast. Do you remember me talking about in a couple of uh, a while back with episodes about Franciscan and Dominican knowledge? Yes. I've talked about this before. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of that. Of like, he does incorporate, he does use descriptions of the characters themselves. I think that's the most polite way them. one could ever be called fat by anybody. But it's like. Yes. But it's not just like, that's, that's part of the descriptive. Uh, way of just or the, the dominican not descriptive um i can't think of the word the proper words now um, the dominican knowledge that i was talking about but he uses like examples of stories of what they would do or what they or the effect they would have on him in order to describe them and you suddenly get a much greater idea of the kind of person that they are and i especially think about um where he says right at the end of his description of muriel singer um she made me feel alert and sorry, no, not that, not that sentence. Um, she was rather like one of those innocent tasting American drinks, which creep imperceptibly. Is that the correct word? No, that's imperceptibly. not word. Imperceptibly. Imperceptibly. I'll start that again. She was rather like one of those innocent tasting American drinks, which crept imperceptibly into your system so that before you knew what you were doing, you're starting out to reform the world by force if necessary and pausing on your way to tell the large man in the corner that if he looks like you if he looks at you like that you'll knock his head off that's that's a he's telling a narrative there to describe a person and to describe the feeling that he gets when he looks at a person and i can't help but think in my head that the only person i could possibly think of is daisy buchanan from the great Gatsby. yes like he didn't describe her as in the same way that f scott fitzgerald did but you kind of imagine that's the way that the guys around Daisy Buchanan act. Mm. Um, that, they, that they're all after her and that they all want to be big tough and they think that she's the greatest thing in the universe because she greatest looks thing at you since and she's bread. like, oh, I think you're fantastic. Like, she's, you know, this... Do, do you get what I mean? And yes. it's just between the stories that he uses to describe them that that's at least the image that I got in my head. Um, and actually, in actual, like. in actual fact, the um, in the TV in the TV series, and this is really fresh in my mind because I literally like watched this story on TV um, like last week, and um, she does actually look like a Daisy Buchanan, you know, with yeah. pretty blonde hair, and you know that quintessential sort of nineteen that beautiful night that beauty of the nineteen thirties, like just she was she was a beautiful actress and. She portrayed that manipulative quality so perfectly. Mm. It was unbelievable. Like every and it's funny because you're standing there watching this as a third person in the TV series and you go, No, don't fall for it, but oh there he goes. Yep, okay. <laughs> now we know everything's all gonna get into trouble now. Like mm. you just mm. you know, you can see it all happening and you are compelled to watch it. But it's okay because the train stays on the tracks at the end. <laughs> it all it all comes together. 
brilliantly at the end. Day. And that's the that's the other great thing I love about this series is that you you never left you never left with a bad taste in your mouth. You know how some comedies, you know, you that or you know some stories they you know everything falls apart and then the end. Mm. This one, no, 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 no. They wrap it all up and tie off all the knots and end it all. Ne- you know, it's also it's very, neat. It's very gratifying it's, to read. It is. It is. It all <laughs> works because, out in the it's end. Because they're not. If I was to compare it to to something like Seinfeld, for example, like Seinfeld, it usually blows up in their faces horribly. But it's because they're awful people. Yes. Like they are terrible people, and you kind of and they deserve everything you get. <laughs> Whereas these guys, okay, they do some silly things and and it blows up in their face, but it's not. Like, they're not awful. Yeah. And so there's a sense of satisfaction when it all works out. A relief end. because you're like, whew, that was a close call that <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. You'd, think, you'd hope they learned their lesson, but no, every story is a new episode of um, hilari- hilarious, a combination of stupidity and just bad circumstances, if that makes oh, sense. And it's because, they've got, it's because they've got the circumstance thing too that makes the characters likeable. Yeah. You know, it's... You know, things conspired against them and the fact that they're, you know, foppishly foolish, as Bertie is described by a Wikipedia article. <laughs> foppishly foolish. That's great. Any, does anyone else have anything well, to say? Well, the point I was kind of making before oh, we sort of went off track, but that's before, okay. Before and it's just a, really, just a really simple um, kind of point I wanted to make was the fact that whether it was conscious or not, Wodehouse, I think, realised that Perhaps he needed to take a different form of description or representation for women in particular. So, I don't know, perhaps he thought there was an element of mystery or some, or a quality that could only be um, described through this sort of uh, Franciscan sort of way of writing. Um, I don't know, what do you guys think about that? Because it is markedly different. I mean, it does let, tell you a little bit about me, the character himself, though, as well. Yeah. Of course, actually, you're right. But let me read to you the um, the description of a man that comes straight after the description of the rather plump lady. <laughs> By the way, if you're trying to find this in the book, uh, the story we're reading, it's in the one after, I'm sorry. It's called Jeeves and the Unbidden Guest. Mm. So, Motti, the son, was about 23, tall and thin and meek looking. He had the same yellow hair as his mother, but he wore it plastered down and parted in the middle, much like, just a side note, sort of like F. Scott Fitzgerald had in all his pictures. His eyes bulged too, but they weren't bright. They were a dull grey with pink rims. His chin gave up the struggle about halfway down, and he didn't appear to have any eyelashes. A mild, furtive, sheep, sheepish sort of blighter in short. Like, that's completely different. Mm-hmm. And yet these two people play an equal role in the story and are sitting right next to each other. I just think it's really interesting, and that's what played on my mind the most when I was reading his works. I think it was, I think it was on, in part, unconscious, because it's a very... I think and I think he's just highlighting the the way that men and the way men and women see perceive other men and women because mm. um, the way men perceive and experience women would be entirely different from the way they would perceive and experience men, and so they respond to them. Any man in the room, I can say that that would be correct. That would because be, there are no and it's the same, and the same, and the same, and the same. <laughs> well, no, but the same is true for women. Like the way we perceive and would su- subsequently describe. The, you know, the men we encounter is utterly different to the way we perceive and would therefore describe the women in our life. And, you know, it's his first impression. Hmm. You know, like that's that's what that description is. It's a first impression. And I I don't know. I think it was unconscious to a large to a large degree because that's just the way probably the way Wodehouse either wanted Bertie to think or the way he he experienced things himself. 
And, you know, people can argue, oh, well, maybe that's a bit sexist, but I'm like, well... If he was doing I, it unconsciously, I wouldn't. I, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily. No, it's. Sexist. I don't think it is. I. I don't think it is either. Because I find it quite flattering. Yes. To be honest, we get the better descriptions, not better in terms of come out looking better, but I think they're a lot heartier. Yes, and, and um, they're a lot more. They're a lot more interesting. Yeah. Sorry, Luke. I'm, I'm totally okay. <laughs> You're totally okay it, with this. G.K. Chesterton makes a point in um, "What's Wrong with the World." a book that we may read at some point about the difference between how men approach conversation, how women approach conversation. Oh, yeah, they're two entirely different matters. <laughs> and that when men, men approach conversation, what they I may have mentioned this in an episode before, but when men approach a conversation, they don't care who they're talking to. They, just, they don't remember who they talk to. They no. just remember what they talked about. And I can tell you as a man that that's actually quite true. Because there's many instances where I'm like, did I, have I talked to you? Luke says this about three times a day. (laughs) I don't know if you're being serious about that. I'm being very serious. You say that quite often. It's like, I can't remember if I told you about that, but I can't remember if that was the conversation. I mean, you hear it in this episode. I don't remember if I did this in an episode before. Maybe it's just me and it's just a coincidence, but I think that is a typical man thing, is that we care more about what we talk about. Whereas he mentions that women have more of a care about who they're talking to. And I don't mean that in like uh, they want to respect the person or anything or, or that they're concerned with appearances, but with to sum it up in a statement that many men may have heard uh, when they've made a woman quite angry. It wasn't what you said, it was how you said it. Um, and Cheston's kind of picking up on that with the, the the things that men would consider to be like, well, who cares? Like, I didn't actually say anything wrong. But it wasn't what you said. It's that women are more concerned with those kinds of things. The exception to the rule, I would presume, because it sounds like I'm going back on or what Wodehouse says here is contradictory because he's putting great descriptions into these women, is that women would break through that because there's, I guess, much more of a, um, a reason for a man to view a woman in that way. Uh, it, would be, it would be a sexual thing. And I don't mean that in a... In an attraction or a carnal kind of way. Yeah, I mean it's that just in like the in... fact that her being the opposite sex has an impact on him. Exactly, mm. exactly. It's it's something that a normal human being would have. It's like a, like you say, it's not a carnal thing. It's a thing that's it's just the way that that we're wired. Men are, of course, going to be seeing women uh, in a much more descriptive way um, than how they would be viewing other men, and it would be the same the other way around. It's just, I guess, more pronounced with men because they generally don't see people like that anyway. It's just women that they would see anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, and look, um, there's this fa- fabulous YouTube video that highlights the communication differences between men and women, and it's called It's Not About the Nail. Go You, you go, like, look <laughs> up It's Not About the Nail, and it's this hilarious, it's absolutely hilarious. Like, my parents nearly wet their pants laughing every time they watch this because it, like, perfectly encapsulates the com- the miscommunication that happens between men and women because we see because we see we see verbal conversation mm. for two primarily different purposes, and that's and, and that's just like ingrained in us. Like we don't understand, we're not conscious of it until you see it like comically played out in like a YouTube video or like in this, because men see verbal communication as a f- you know as a way to convey information, whereas women see verbal communication as a way to commune. 
with someone. Like when women, when a woman's talking to you, when you watch girls talk to each other, they're making eye contact, they're animated, they face each other, they're, you know, they're... It makes it very difficult for Luke to set up the microphone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but we need, like, we we need this. Like, it's, it's, it, and it's, it's, and it's not, I don't know, it's really weird, but women need no, facial I know, expressions. I know, I know exactly what you mean, because yeah. it's like with me, I can sometimes become self-conscious of the fact that I'm like, did I look at that person at all in that conversation? I mean, I'm even doing it right now, where yeah. I keep on looking down at your iPad for some reason, because all I'm caring, all my brain is devoted to, to is stupid, mono-focused man brain <laughs> is just focused on, I just want to communicate some information right now. But there you go. We should be wrapping we should, up. We should wrap it up now. Um, I'm thinking, I've spoke to Victoria about this. I okay. don't know about you, Kiara. What do you reckon about The Great Divorce? I'm sorry. I've got a copy. I'll do it. Right. I've read it I'll already. I'll find a copy. You'll find a copy. I can lend you mine. Enough. I've already read it. Excellent. We've done We've done two Tolkien. We've done two Chesterton. I think we should do... I know. See, it's I been know, a long... Four CSOs, <laughs> but it was really... <laughs> but that was, it was one, one book. <laughs> it, does, it was one book, so that doesn't count. Yeah, and it's not very long, so I think it's doable. I may regret this, but that's okay. It's doable, don't worry. Yeah, the, so. the lit student may also regret this, but that's okay. Guys, seriously. The things a- I do for you, it, my dear listener. It, it, no, no, seriously, it's it's not that bad, guys. Send us an email if you like us. Yeah. All right, well, with that, uh, the next episode, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. Um, Listen in next time and, and we'll be we'll be doing that one. That's what we'll be doing. Yes. Alrighties. Goodbye. Bye bye. Victoria, you're not meant to do that first. It's me. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> bye. That was an episode of Catholic Spree from cradio.org.au.